0: Welcome back to What You'll Learn. My name is Adam Ashton.
1: And my name is Adam Jones. Today we're taking you through the best bits of the three languages of politics by Arnold Kling, talking across the political divide.
0: The Klinger said that our political debates are not debates, but instead uh, they are vehement expressions of tribal anger. Now, the Klinger wrote this in 2013, and I don't think we need to state the obvious that this has become so much more true in the eight years since. Political debates really have anything to do with politics and they're more expressions of tribal anger. The whole world
1: is just getting so much more political. It doesn't take long to just scroll through the Facebook feed and some people you knew from 10 to 12 years ago, just quite reasonable people, nice people you met at a party and then all of a sudden they're just posting just these pretty wild posts full of just such tribal anger and certainty in their own views and very little understanding of how other people see the world.
0: I think Arnold Kling was probably ahead of the curve when he was saying that all this tribalism is being exacerbated by both the traditional media and social media. Uh, I think everybody's sort of caught on to that fact now uh, that uh, the different forms of mainstream media as well as the social media silos are just making everybody more and more angry. But thankfully, the Klingmeister, here has got uh, a nice little model that we can use to break out of these.
1: There's a quote here by Ash Joe's uncle here, John Molden. John from the pub? Your uncle. Well, John, when you classify a significant movement as unworthy of your consideration due to your intellectual or political station, it's hard to sit down and work out solutions to shared problems.
0: If you look at the newspaper columnists, the, the TV talking heads or those uh, Facebook and Twitter pundits... They make these points that uh, are so totally convincing to all of their followers. So, anyone who agrees with them uh, is like, man, that's that's incredible. That's mm. amazing. But then, of course, everybody else who isn't on their side is completely unaffected. You're not convinced them whatsoever.
1: Most people in the world appreciate the value of cooperation uh, and most are pretty skilled at it in most contexts. If you've read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, you'd understand the importance of Interdependence and how diversity and how one plus one in some contexts can equal more than two. But when it comes to politics, politically aware people, we're always just splitting into tribes. And these tribes use the skills of cooperation not to work with each other, but to mobilize with each other against the other tribes, just to destroy them and take them out.
0: So Arnold Kling, he says that this is specifically based on U.S. politics when he wrote this in 2013, Uh, but of course, I think these similar ideas can apply across the world and throughout different types of history, but he breaks the political tribes into three groups, progressives, conservatives, and libertarians, and of course, progressives... They think they're better than conservatives and libertarians. Conservatives think they're better than libertarians and progressives and libertarians think that they're better than progressives and conservatives. So, everybody thinks that they're, they're onto the winner. They're back in the winning horse. Everyone thinks they're right, basically.
1: Mm. But obviously, they can't all be correct. And when you think in these terms, it's unlikely that these three groups are going to sit down and work, in, work out solutions to shared problems. And it's because these three political tribes are speaking their own language and in some kind of form of communication that the other tribes can't understand, it's like speaking French and the other ones speaking Chinese. They're just not going to be able to understand each other and reach uh, shared goals.
0: Exactly. So that's what uh, the Klingmeister is saying. That it just boils down to the fact that everyone's speaking different languages. So when that uh, when that talking head on TV says his rah-rah speech and all of his people on in his tribe are like, man, that's amazing. The other people just didn't get it at all. They didn't understand it at all because they were speaking a different political language.
1: They really filter the three different groups' political languages. So firstly, we've got progressives. So these are better known as left-leaning people and want to move things forward and so forth. So this tribe, they're going to communicate along the oppressor, oppressed axes. So they'll frame every issue in in this dichotomy. For them, the heroes are the people who have stood up for the underprivileged and the people they can't stand are the ones who are indifferent to the oppression of women, minorities and the poor.
0: Then you've got the conservatives. So, they communicate along the civilization-barbarian axis. So, this is their dichotomy. They say their heroes are people who have stood up for Western values. The people they can't stand are the people who are indifferent to any assault on moral virtues and traditions that were the foundation of our civilization.
1: And thirdly, we've got libertarians, and they're going to co- communicate along the liberty-coercion axes, and they frame issues in this dichotomy, and they believe their heroes are the ones who have stood up for the individual rights. The people they just can't stand are the ones who are indifferent to the government, just taking away all our freedoms and the ability to
0: make our own decisions. That's it. So what we're going to do after this is we're going to look at a whole bunch of different, uh, I guess, politically heated topics and how each of the different three... Uh, would interpret that and how they would explain that in their own language. You got another a quickie on the fly?
1: Got a quickie on the fly would, uh, on the book. But, uh, you know, if you look at something like the coronavirus, just at the time of doing this podcast, Victoria, we're back into lockdown and the three different tribes are going to see this lockdown in very different ways and the way the coronavirus pandemic's hit. Obviously, you've got the libertarians. They're just pissed off that they're going to go around wearing masks. The, the, the bloody government's making them lock in themselves inside and they're losing all the personal freedom away. So, you know, when they get up in the morning, this is the first thing in their mind. The progressives, they'll be looking at how the coronavirus is hitting those who are most needy in society, right? So they might not be looking at their individual freedoms, they might be happy to give that up as long as the coronavirus doesn't hit the most underprivileged in our society. And then the conservatives. How do they view it, Ash Joe?
0: <laughs> I saw where you were going and I, I, I thought that your example was about to fall apart there. Uh, I've got no idea. They if you're a conservative, <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe send us an email. They don't want uh, barbarianism, that's for sure. So I can't imagine they would have uh, liked the uh, people fighting in supermarket aisles over toilet paper and stuff like that because that's Correct. that's civilization uh, descending to barbarianism.
1: Thanks for saving it, Ash Joe. <laughs>
0: Okay, so that was a made-up one on the fly, which I don't know how accurate we were. I think we got pretty close, though. Yeah. But these ones are from the the book, so we can be sure that we're a bit closer on this one. One uh, news event, the Black Lives Matter, the George Floyd incident. All three different tribes of people interpreted these events according to their own axis and their own dichotomies.
1: So, the progressive framing of the issue emphasizes racism among police and the society. So... You know, they're looking at the white police or white society at large in the role of oppressors and the African-Americans in this case, the role of oppressed.
0: Then the conservatives, they frame it, of course, along their dichotomy, which is civilization barbarism. So they were saying that criminal suspects and the unruly demonstrators, they were playing in a role in moving civilization towards being a barbarian sort of culture. And so they figured that it was the role of police to put these demonstrators uh, back in order to return to some kind of civilization.
1: And thirdly, we've got libertarians, and they're framing the issue as the with an emphasis on the need to be free of all this police uh, harassment. So if you really look at it, uh, progressives out there, they're just really caring for those who are oppressed. And then when they look at the news, and they're if they're reading the Murdoch newspaper or something like that, and all they're hearing about is everyone complaining about the riots and everything burning down. According to them, you're going to get start getting pissed off just because they're not going to see it from your perspective. But at the same time, from the conservatives' point of view, they see everyone going on riots and um, you know protesting. In some cases, it ends up being damage to society, and they just can't understand why these people are just destroying these businesses where people have worked so hard of their whole lives building. So you can just see right there that they're just two completely different axes, and very little understanding happens.
0: So, obviously, you can see that everybody's got a point, and obviously, whichever camp you fall into, you're going to feel that whichever of those three that we spelled out there, you're going to feel that one is right and two are wrong, and you're going to be very strong on yours. But if you look at it objectively, they've all got some sort of merit to them. So, there's all, they all have merit in one area or another, and it's not that one is right and the other two are wrong.
1: Here's another pretty heated topic, and this is the interpretation of the Holocaust, So, this is where, obviously, Nazis, they went out there and murdered millions of Jews and one of the most heinous acts over the last century. So, firstly, on the conservatives' civilization barbarism axis, you'd hear an explanation that sees the Holocaust as illustrating the evil of what happens when all the institutions break down.
0: Yeah, so the conservatives would say that Germany was like a a strong country of civilized people and they've got back to that now, but they're saying that after World War I and the Treaty of Versailles, pretty much crippled their economy, they had hyperinflation, and then they had the Great Global Depression, which really screwed them up. So all the uh, Germans abandoned their traditional institutions. So all the normal things you would expect in civilization started to fall apart, and the conservatives say, well, as soon as that was gone, we just Mm. reverted to barbarism.
1: Yeah, of course, and they'll say that history's lesson through all that ordeal is that we need to make sure that traditional institutions remain intact, so we don't want to go back to that barbarism.
0: So, then along the uh, progressive axis, which is the oppressor-oppressed axis, they would explain the dangers of ethnic prejudice. So, obviously, the genocide was an extreme version of negative stereotyping of minority groups. So, of course, for them, the lesson is that we've got to avoid all these negative stereotypes of any kind so that they don't escalate to this point where a small group of people are oppressed.
1: And then, of course, thirdly, along the libertarian-liberty-coercion axis, they see this moment in history as just a really dangerous example of what happens when we put all our faith in an all-encompassing state and all the power to just one person because these totalitarian regimes are willing to commit mass murder to remain in power and pursue these ideological goals.
0: Okay, so as we said, all of these arguments have merit Uh, and if you're thinking, yeah, but that's that's so basic, that's so simplistic, of course everyone can just pick one thing and go for it well, that's actually a good sign. Mm. If, you're, if you're viewing these as simplistic and saying, well, actually, the issues are far more deep and far more complex than this, that's good. It probably means you're not stuck in one tribe or the other.
1: Yeah, if your view is a little bit more nuanced than the knee-jerk responses based on the three axes model and, you, and only one didn't resonate with you, then you're doing pretty well, I think. The issue here is that people are using their frames to assert moral superiority
0: over the others, so that's when it's going really bad. So, the Klingmeister says that we can, as a society, reduce our level of political anger, both overall and also you as an individual, by better understanding other languages. Obviously, if you can grasp the other political languages that other people are speaking out there, you're going to be far less furious when somebody says something that you disagree with.
1: Yeah, there's two things can be gained from this. Firstly, if you're looking to influence somebody... Uh, the old seven habits of highly effective people. Again, seek first to understand and then be understood. If you really look and influence anyone, you actually need to understand their perspective and the merit they've, they've got and then that you've got an opportunity to influence them. Or obviously, you can actually learn from someone who sees the world differently. So there's only upside for being able to speak the other political languages.
0: So if you do have a dominant axis, if you do identify as either progressive, conservative or libertarian, the suggestion here is to learn the other languages spoken by the other people on other axes. So don't worry, just by learning someone else's language doesn't mean that you're going to be converted by them to join their point of view. Of course, by the same token, just by learning their languages doesn't mean you're going to be able to convert them overnight. But what it does is you will become aware of your own assumptions and the assumptions that everybody on your side makes uh, because this whole time you've been neglecting the completely legitimate and uh, completely meritorious views of the other side. If you can learn those languages, you'll start to realize that actually everybody has got a bit of common sense. They're just seeing it in their own way. Mm,
1: Yeah. So, we need to move beyond just our dominant heuristic
0: and notice what happens
1: with political discussions because a lot of the time we want to position ourselves relative to others and raise our status amongst our tribe only and when you kind of, it is a bit nerve-wracking when you... Try and speak in a different political language. You might get a bit disowned from your tribe there.
0: By taking a little bit of detachment from your own uh, deeply entrenched axis, you start to generate a bit more of a charitable view towards the other Uh, arguments or the other disagreements that are coming from the other side. Of course, the opposite of that is what most people do is that they have a very uncharitable focus. All they're doing is looking for the problems in the other side's arguments and just saying, well, this is why you're wrong and we're right. If you can learn the other side's arguments or learn their language, you'll become a lot more charitable and a lot more reasonable and rational.
1: You can start considering the goals of the political pundits and the talking heads and all the media you're consuming because- One goal of them, it might be to open the minds on their own side. Another goal might be to open the minds on the other side. And a third goal might be to close the minds on the same tribe of the talking head for their own sake. It's almost as if the thing that they fear the most is that they're going to lose their followers in their own tribe. If they're open-minded, they're going to go and find someone else.
0: Yeah, it's interesting if you think about it. Their real objective is to keep everyone on their side already on their side Uh, and to do that they keep their minds closed and of course all that means is strengthening their own points of view and attacking everybody else's. So it just really uh, deepens those trenches and builds the walls between the different groups.
1: And this really does put the fuel on the fire of all the political polarization that we're seeing in the world. These forms of media are not helping at all, whether it be the print media or also social media, which you could argue uh, leans progressively.
0: In 2012, uh, there was a study that found that 18% of people using social media had unfriended someone because of their political postings. Imagine what that would be now. (laughs) I feel like it would be just uh, significantly higher than now. So, they're they're saying that one in five back in 2012 unfriended people because of their political views. I think because everybody's political views are becoming so much more public, there's a lot of unfriending going on.
1: Oh, mate. Have you seen – did you see a lot of uh, posts, whether it be progressive or conservatives over the last year, Um, if you believe X, unfriend me or something? (laughs) It happened on both ends, right?
0: Oh, definitely. It's a very, um, I guess a, a very uncharitable, in his words, or very immature way of of looking at it. Of just saying, "I'm right, you're wrong." If you're not on my side, then uh, nice knowing you.
1: Yeah, and the risks of this tribalism isn't just left for the uh, the less intelligent people in society. It can all happen all the way to the top. And there's even an example of here where it got into the Supreme Court with a whole entire legal system fell for their political biases and weren't able to think objectively in a case.
0: So, this is known as motivated reasoning and as you said, it's not just the uh, uneducated, uninformed people that engage in this kind of bias thinking. In fact, probably the more educated and the more informed you are, the worse you are Mm. at something like motivated reasoning. So, You would think that if people were open-minded and they had access to all the different sorts of information, they would realize that issues are quite complex and every side has uh, a little bit of truth to it. But if you become really informed and you know all about uh, your side's way of thinking, then you just start to put the blinders on and start to say, yeah, point to all the reasons why you're right. Hmm. And you start to find all that evidence that confirms your own way of thinking.
1: Yeah, I think a big fail in this area happens when someone, you can pretty much predict their entire worldview and what's going to come out of their mouths on any topic based on their tribe compared to the people who are a little bit more nuanced and sometimes surprise you with a progressive view on one thing and then maybe conservative perspective on another.
0: So basically what happens uh, with uh, motivated reasoning is you just become a lawyer arguing your own case. All you're doing is you're looking for evidence to justify or reinforce your preconceived opinions Instead of being lawyers though, what we should be doing is becoming judges instead, looking at all of the different evidence objectively and then making a decision based on all of that information. So, we need to dig ourselves out of this trap and there's a
1: few things we can start doing. Firstly, assume that you don't fully understand the other
0: side. Yeah, it's it's interesting that, uh, again, everybody thinks they're so well-informed and most people if you're a progressive, you'll say, yeah, I know exactly what conservatives think or if you're a conservative, you'll say, yeah, I know exactly what progressives think but that's pretty thats pretty mm. horseshit. I don't think you really would uh, know. You might know that one very small thing but you mm. don't really know the depths behind what they're actually thinking.
1: Absolutely. And it's this motivated reasoning that grabs us and makes us want to look for closure because as human beings, we just want closure around topics and assume we understand it. It's a lot more uncomfortable to leave the topic open and hold two different perspectives at the same time. There's a quote by the the big... Your uncle. My uncle, David McCraney. (laughs) He wrote... From the pub. From the pub, you are not so smart blog. He says, The results show liberals believe they know more about conservatives than conservatives know about liberals. The conservatives believe they know more about liberals than liberals know about conservatives. And both groups thought they know more about their opponents than their opponents knew about themselves.
0: So that's when you, uh, I guess, descend into labeling and pigeonholing, uh, straw manning. Straw manning. So, yeah, it? definitely. That's when the progressives just say that all the conservatives and libertarians, they're all racists. The conservatives say that, oh, everyone else, they're just Marxists. And the libertarians say that uh, all the progressives and conservatives, they're just smothered by this nanny state and no one can actually think for themselves. The
1: second thing we can start doing to dig ourselves out of this mess is assume that we're actually not reasonable. Myself, you show everyone listening right now, you're probably going through your head, oh yeah, it's not me. I arrive at my political beliefs through this careful reasoning and consideration of the evidence. It's characteristic of all those people who share my beliefs, but that's actually bullshit. (laughs) It's not true. Uh, You need to stop telling yourself that and assume everyone else who's got different perspectives is equally as reasonable as you.
0: And then the third way to dig ourselves out of these three political trenches I would
1: almost say this is a pass I think this is getting there Oh the, this is a pass not to get out man's. this is just to
0: get back to level and that's uh you got to engage in the uh, what he calls the Turing test so if everyone knows that the Turing test from back in the back in the day I don't know what 60 70 years ago Alan Turing created this test about uh, computers and artificial intelligence if you speak to a computer and think you're speaking to a human, then that's past the Turing test. Mm. That's a fucking legendary computer. If you if you if you if you're typing it just sends you back the type of crap that you get on most chatbots and you th- think, well, I'm clearly speaking to a chatbot. If you believe that you're speaking to a human, then that's next level.
1: So let's say if you're a progressive, if you want to pass this test, you need to be able to sit down with a conservative and make them believe that you're a conservative, that might be difficult Mm. to do. But once you get to that point, then you really pass the the cling test, we'll call it. Cling test.
0: (laughs) Well, that's it. As you say, at the moment, everybody thinks that they uh, understand the other side, but the other side would clearly know that you're an outsider. But if you can, uh, I guess, get in there and convince somebody on the other side that you're with Mm. them, then you've proven that you can at least speak and understand all those different languages. So, at least you're on mm. the, the right path.
1: And mate, if you want to get a cling plus... The way you do that is you uh, steel man. So we were talking about the straw man earlier where you just put a weak version of the other people's beliefs. You know, all conservatives are racist. Progressives are all bloody Marxists, just tearing shit down. To steel man it, you actually explain their worldview and perspectives better than they can. And when you do it, they're going to be very open to listening after it because you obviously understand their whole entire worldview and that means they're going to be more curious about what you have to offer them.